My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Well, welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're here today. Glad you're back today. Uh, If you got your Bibles, grab your Bibles. You will need those, as always. You also might want to use the handout that's on the table there. So it's got a staple. The staples are back. I'm excited. Sometimes I feel like I'm mailing it in if there's not a staple, but that's okay. All right, so I want to start this morning uh, by asking a question that's on the handout, and it is, do you have a favorite Bible passage? All right, Ms. Mila says yes. <clears throat> what is your, so this is the, if you say yes, I'm going to ask you which one it is. So I'll give you an opportunity to rescind your yes and think about the text. Um, <laughs> maybe necessary. So any favorite Bible passages? Excellent. I was going to say, and you, you, you goddeth all of thy verses uh, correcteth. It is amazingeth. You New King James it. There you go. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, any other translation. Uh, other favorite Bible passages? <clears throat> Ms. Darla? Okay. Ah, yeah, just like Romans 8 and then walk away, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just amazing, right? Somebody else? His workmanship. Beautiful, isn't it? And that workmanship is not just like, ah, oh, he just he made something, he tossed it. No, no, it's like his masterpiece, like his like amazing stuff. Right. Somebody else? One more? Yes, sir. Sure. Uh, reading from this Acts 4, 12, yeah, 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Come on now. Let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> there we go. I like it, Mark. I like it. This is Peter coming back to truly That's right. That's right. In front of a less than receptive audience. <laughs> That's a... That's going to be the understatement of the day, the less than receptive audience. Yes, sir. That is correct. Well, uh, how many of you read your Bible on your phones? Does anybody read your Bible on your phones? Some of you are like, I don't do that. It's okay. The rest of us do. Uh, the app that you use, how many of you use the Version app? Anybody use the Version app? Yes. Do you know that it's keeping stats on you? It keeps track of you? It records how long you stay on pages and what you look up and how long you hang out and some of you are like, that creeps me out a little bit, that my Bible is stalking me. <laughs> All right. God's watching everything, so the fact that that Bible app is watching a little, don't let that wig you out too much. Um, but the, the Bible app people, the Version folks, they publish statistics on the most popular verses, the most popular uh, chapters, uh, what gets read the most, what gets read the, le- read the least. And if you had to guess, of all the Psalms, what would be the most popular psalm? Like of all the psalms, what would be the most popular psalm that is looked up and read? 23, that's right. So pretty easy answer, right? And uh, correspondingly, 
the least most popular psalm? 79, there you go. That's right. So we just finished uh, this past Wednesday evening a series on Wednesday nights. Uh, myself, Bill Brandenburg, John Pike, and Terry Brown uh, going through a summer in the Psalms. And uh, Siri thinks I'm talking to him right now. Sorry, there we go. She does that every once in a while. And uh, this was one of the lessons that I taught. Uh, and I, had, I think I mentioned last week that uh, this was going to be coming this morning. The, uh, the idea behind Psalm 79, if you read it, you will pretty quickly understand why like, this is not going to be something that, uh, that I heard any of you shout out and say, it's my life chapter, Psalm 79. Right? Uh, but I'm going to make a point today, and I'm, I'm going, I want to tell you what the point is before we kind of get there. Uh, so flip over to the last page of your handout, uh, and I'm going to tell you the application number one and the personalization number one before we do any of the read, explain, and apply, uh, which kind of breaks all my rules, but I want, you to, I want you to know where I'm coming from to start. I'm going to show you all my cards. So little known, so application number one, does not equal little value. So draw the equal sign and then put a slash through it. This is your mathematical... Uh, exercise for the day. Um, so little known does not equal little value. And then personalize number one, don't forget the unpopular. So I'm going to make the personalization today that this is true of Bible study so that we can go to places where we don't normally go and there is still a spectacularly deep well of truth. Uh, and then I'm going to let you take that concept and apply it toward a lot of other areas of your lives. Uh, such as relationships, which I think is very important. So, I told you where we're going, so you know what... It kind of makes me nervous. Now we have to live up to that, right? So, here we go. All right, so if you got your Bibles, let's go to Psalm 79. I'm going to read it out loud, uh, and you can follow along in uh, your translation. I'm reading out of the New King James this morning. Psalm 79, a psalm of Asaph. Oh God... The nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to those who are around us. How long, Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, do not remember the former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. And deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants which has been shed. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are appointed to die. And return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach which they have reproached you, O Lord. So we... 
Your people and the sheep of your pasture will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. And you all went, where in the world are we going with that today? All right, let's take a look. So uh, each Sunday in this class, we read the text, we explain the text, we apply the text, and we personalize the text. Let's do the explain part. So there should be a question on your handout that says, what is the historical context? And it is very helpful, especially in the Psalms, because they are not chronological to know what is going on in uh, Israeli history, what is going on in world history for something like this. Uh, and if you, if you know your Old Testament, uh, when did the temple get destroyed? Was there ever a, a time when the temple got destroyed? I heard it. The Babylons came in, right? And things did not go well, right? So that's your first blank. Uh, we think this is the Babylonian captivity of 587 B.C. Now the Jews believe this wholeheartedly even today because on the ninth day of the Jewish month Ab, uh, they sing this psalm and they remember the destruction of Jerusalem, both the Babylonian one in 587 and the Roman one in 70 A.D., so they believe it's this, which is a pretty good idea that we should probably lean that way too. But if you disagree or you've got something that says something different, uh, where we're going today doesn't depend on that. But I just wanted to give us a framework of where we are in history. All right, so literary structural observations. Are there any of those? I want you to look at your version in your Bible and tell me what you see about the actual text. Just what do you see about the text? Does this look like the last novel that you read? No, what's different? Lots of inventions. Why would there be lots of inventions? It's a poem, right? It's a song. This is a Jewish poetry. Okay? So are there any, um, are there any breaks in the poem? Yeah, it's got different... What do we call those when we break a poem up? Stanzas. Yes, you're remembering back to your middle school English. Good. Or your high school poetry or college poetry or whatever it might be. I'm still so glad you're back. I really am. It makes me happy. Uh, so most of your translations will have a break after verse 4. Uh, most of your translations will have a break after verse 7. Most of them will have a break after verse 10. And some of them have a break after verse 12. Um, and that feels about right when you think about the theme of each one of those stanzas. So I just want us to make sure that we have this broken up. Now, the question I have is, uh, are the stanza breaks from English translations or from the original Hebrew? English, that is correct. I will ask you one more question, though. Um, you see that little Assam of Asaph at the beginning? Is that from the English translation or is that from the Hebrew? That's the Hebrew. That's the Hebrew. The Jews actually consider that part of the actual text of the Bible. And sometimes we skip over that in our haste to actually get to the things that are numbered because we like numbered things and it's important. And well, there are unnumbered components to the text of the Bible as well. So as we read through this, 
what's the perspective? What's going on from the author is where? Is the author in heaven? Is this God speaking down to man or is this man speaking up to God? Man speaking up to God, right? So there's a whole lot of you's. There's 20 you and yours in this. And there's 14 our us's and we's. And then there's seven they and them. So who's the they and them? Well, it's, it's the Babylonians. And who else? It's these, anybody else that's laughing at God, right? Because there's other nations. Remember, it wasn't just in, in world history at this time. It wasn't just there was Babylon and there was Israel. And that was it. And there was... Dozens of other nations that are looking on and saying, where's your God? You've been talking about this God for a long time and it doesn't look like he's around. So let's take a look at what the words mean. So this is a psalm of Asaph. And the word Asaph, his name means collector. Uh, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you know that in First Chronicles 6, uh, David appoints uh, somebody to lead the singing in his house. Would anybody care to hazard a guess at what this person's name was? You would be incorrect. Sorry, I, I set you up to, to miss that one. Um, his name is actually a name of a cartoon character that I watched when I was a little boy. Uh, and I had to watch when my mom wasn't looking because she thought it was the devil. So uh, his name was He-Man. Uh, literally, the, the guy's name that David appointed to lead singing in the house of God was He-Man, which I think is fantastic. Uh, because we look at He-Man and we think of, you know, who was it? Who, do you remember the, the, the real-life actor who played He-Man in the movie? If you've seen the movie, I need to apologize. It was awful. Like, <laughs> There was one with Arnold and there was one with Dolph, too. Yeah, they thought they could remake it and it didn't get better. It got worse. But do you know who his right-hand man was? Who is, his right, who is he man's right-hand man? Asaph. No, in the Bible. Sorry. Not, not in the movie. Get out of the movie. Come on. Come on. Shira. <laughs> I haven't thought about Shira in a long time. Wow. That's pretty sad. Um, and there are, there are really interesting stories that the, the Bible talks about the singers in the, in the temple. Uh, in Second Chronicles 5, uh, at the dedication of Solomon's temple, the singers are singing, and the physical presence of God moves in, which is just, that would have been a stunning thing to see. But the, this cloud, this physical presence, moves in to the temple, and guess what happens to the singers? They can't breathe. They literally get choked out. They have to stop. Um, and sometimes you'll hear us in modern worship uh, describe a worship service and say, man, God really showed up. Like, well, let, like, let's be real careful about that one. <laughs> because my God shows up wherever I am because I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, God showed up in a very specific way here in the Old Testament that was mind-boggling. So this is Asaph, associated with David and singing and psalms. Uh, but the only problem that I have is uh, I like timelines. And I like to know where things happen in the Old Testament. And David and Solomon were around 1,000 B.C., which puts Asaph around 1,000 B.C. So if Asaph lived around 1,000 B.C., and this psalm was written about the Babylonian captivity of 587, 
Does anybody else's brain hurt now? You're like, well, how old was Asaph? Well, he probably wasn't that old. So this very likely was not uh, words written by him. But if you're familiar with a little fine print underneath a uh, modern day song, especially on YouTube, if you go to YouTube and watch a a video, you'll see words by so-and-so, music by so-and-so. So we think it might have been music. The tune that was uh, used to sing might have been written by Asaph, or it could have been written by somebody in Asaph's family, uh, because the family of Asaph is mentioned as well in the Old Testament. So you get this very musical-oriented uh, framework that we go into this text with. So let's look at verse 1, which is, if you hear what I'm hearing right now, this is probably the emotional tone of the uh, person writing this psalm. Did you not feel that just a little bit? I mean, do you think you could read this impassionately? You can, and you strip away all the emotional tone. Um, you know, God's the one that created us with emotions. He's not scared of ours. Uh, there's not something that he's worried about when we demonstrate our emotions to him. Let's just look at verse 1. Oh God, this is Elohim. The nations, this is the, the idea of foreigners or Gentiles, have come into your inheritance, your possession, your holy temple they have defiled. Uh, do you see the bolded word there, Pael? Remember these uh, Hebrew stems that are intensive? This is the strong, uh, passionate version of this word. So your holy temple they have defiled. The blank there on your handout is unclean. They have made it unclean. And if you, if you have just even perused through any of the Old Testament to read about the lengths to which the men who served in the temple kept that area clean, right? I recently had my gallbladder removed. I'm looking at you, Sean. Thank you for your ministry of presence before, uh, by the way. Sean came by and sat with me for a while because he knew that um, I don't like needles. (laughs) And I don't like cutting, and I need to hold on because I'm talking about it already. (laughs) Um, I was like, why are my legs getting weak? It's like, oh, yeah. Uh, but there was a spectacular amount of cleaning going on that I saw in that hospital. And I am very thankful because I did not die from infection, right? This is good. Um, but that is nothing compared to what was being done for the temple. Because my guess is there's not rules about what hospital staff can eat over the course of their lives over what they can wear, over who they touch when they're not at work, over how they behave when they're not. But there was for the temple, because that was a clean place. This is the presence of God, and this matters. And the psalmist, in verse 1, is saying, they have made this thing that is the house of yours unclean. So don't just skip over and go, oh, yeah, it was unclean, no big deal. No. This is a tragedy, an absolute tragedy. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. And then verse 2, I want you to get a mental picture of this. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Does this sound like a small defeat? So who are these servants 
here. Get, let's get more specific. The priests. That's exactly right. Because these are the servants that served in this place we just talked about in verse 1. Do you think the priests would have given up the temple easily? We, we don't have any biblical evidence to support what I'm about to say. I can't imagine they would say, absolutely, Babylonians, come on in, defile this place that we have literally dedicated our lives to. And oh, my father dedicated his life and his father and his father and his father. And I, I don't get any sense of that at all, that that could have been a reality. This would have been literally, verse 2, over their dead bodies. Yes, ma'am. Very, very possibly so. So this is a tragedy. This is the emotional tone here. It goes on in verse 3. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. So what happens to bodies when there's nobody to bury them? Where do bodies sit if there's no one to bury them? Wherever they fell. So perhaps around the temple, there are the dead bodies of the priests. And they sat there. And if you leave meat outside, what happens? Well, the birds of the heavens come and eat them. Verse 4, we have become a reproach. The word means a shame to our neighbors. A scorn, which is probably not a word you use very often. Um, and derision or a laughing stock to those who are around us. This is personal for this author. And then he gets into a series of questions. How long, Lord? This is Jehovah. Will you be angry? This word means to breathe hard. And if you think about the last time you got physically angry to where you were breathing hard about something, some of you are like, I don't remember the last time I got angry or I was breathing hard in my anger. This is the mindset of the person on the earth looking up and seeing this level of action by God. How long will you be angry? How long will you breathe hard? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? So let me ask you a question. Who does the psalmist hold responsible for this action? God, right? Let me ask you a terrifying question. Who is responsible for this action? Time out. Who is responsible for the Babylonians coming in that's right. Now, the Israelites sinned and disobeyed. And God raises up a nation to come and to deal with his people as they need to be dealt with. But God does this raising up. And where's the Babylonian Empire today? Oh, that's right. God finished with them. And he set them aside. And he raises up nations and he finishes with them, and he raises up nations, and he finishes with them, which is why it 
breaks my heart when I see Christians talking about America as if it is our eternal home. It is not. Anything that God has done to raise up our nation right now is for His purpose and His purpose alone. So let us be very careful lest we uh, give our eternal uh, commitment and allegiance to the wrong kingdom. So the psalmist holds God responsible for this. Verse 6, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you. Now that is bold talk. Verse 6 is a, that pour out is an imperative. Let's talk about imperatives, Miss Amy. When was the last time you told God an imperative? (laughs) We all have done this. We may not, it may not sound like an imperative, but many times my prayers sound like, God, I got this all figured out. I just need you to do exactly what my plan is. Just need you to, I need you to say amen to what I say. And this is, in effect, telling God what to do. Right? So I will say I am guilty of this. But that is not what this is. <laughs> Verse 6 is, you pour out your wrath. These yous are very direct language. Let's keep going. For they have devoured Jacob, right? How can you not be angry at this? And laid waste to have made it destitute his dwelling place. Verse 8, oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. So here we go. He recognizes he's got a little skin in this game, right? Let your tender mercies, your compassion, come speedily to meet us. And this word meet is payel. This is another intensive. He, he wants intense meeting with God. He wants, he wants God to come quickly. For we have been brought very low. This word for brought is to be made thin. And the word very is for quickly. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever had a period of time in your life where you went from... Uh, a larger size to a smaller size in a very short period of time. But this is a, a description of someone who has gone into captivity and is now not being fed very well. And if you think the Babylonians would have treated the Israelites well and given them three squares a day, not quite. Not quite. Help us, O oh God. Another imperative. Now, this one almost feels like, well, that feels, that feels okay, right? But it's not please help us. It's help us. There's a difference. And I don't know if you've ever been in your life in a spot where um, you are so desperate that you recognize that there is only one source for help. And that's where this author is. Help us, O God, of our salvation, Yesha. It's a beautiful word. Deliverance. We're going to sing a song this morning. Um, I don't know where I put my... Somebody got... Oh, there's one. May I borrow this handout for just a second? One of my favorite songs right now is Rescuer by Rend Collective. The music video is pretty awesome, too. It's a dude riding a tricycle. It's fantastic. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name... Now, this word glory, I've talked about this several times. It means weight. 
And this is uh, a contrasting word to the word vanity in the Old Testament. Vanity is this idea that this doesn't have any substance. It doesn't have any weight. It's easily blown away. It's just not, there's not a lot to it, right? And then the glory is there's something of substance. There's something of significance. There's something worthy here, worthy of actual worship. So because you have substance, because you actually have something that you can do about all of this, uh, for the glory of your name, and deliver another imperative. He is, we are adding up the imperatives today, aren't we? Deliver us, to snatch us out of here, to pluck, to save, to take out, and provide atonement. Now, this is the most uh, direct, passionate statement in the entire psalm, because it is both a pael, which is an intensive, and an imperative. So we just got strong (laughs) in our emotive response toward God in a command to tell him what to do. Does anybody else just feel just like, I feel like I'm on a little bit of shaky ice here, maybe? This word for provide atonement means to cover. It's to forgive. It's to, to reconcile. And provide atonement for our sins. He didn't say provide atonement for the slip-ups that we had. He didn't say provide atonements for those chances where you gave us an opportunity and we chose the poorer of two paths. He was very clear about we have sinned. Uh, And it's not just my sin, it's our sins. This person is writing on behalf of his nation. And he's begging and telling God to cover these sins, for your name's sake. And here's my question for you. Is there anybody that comes along in the Bible and does what verse 9 demands? What is his name? His name is Jesus. What does Jesus do? It's, it's actually in the verse, in verse 9. Because I told you what the Hebrew word for salvation was, right? Yesha, which is one letter from Yeshua which is Jesus. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He provided atonement for our sins. And I'll give us a caution here. When we share the gospel and we start with, God loves you and he has a beautiful plan for your life. And Jesus came and died on the cross so that you could have eternal life and live with him. This middle step makes no sense whatsoever. This feels like divine child abuse because there's no reason for this step. So let's go one step earlier. Actually, two steps earlier. God is the righteous, holy king of the universe. And when he made us, we sinned against him, and we are all guilty. He is now angry at us and our sin. And Jesus took the wrath that God had set aside for me. God poured it out on him on the cross so that I don't get that wrath, so that I then can live forever in right relationship with God. Now the cross makes sense. Does this make sense? 
Now, we don't like talking about wrath. This is the problem. How many of you wake up in the morning and go, yes, I can talk about wrath today. <laughs> like, what kind of, we don't have to be jerks about the wrath. Just don't leave it out. Because when we leave out the wrath of God, we diminish the cross and what was actually being done. And some people, so some, you know, there's, there's the bell curve of Christianity, right? There's the folks that leave out the wrath. There's the folks that leave out the love. And it's only wrath. And it's only your bad. And it's only your evil. And then the cross is this, well, well, yeah, but like for what, right? What was driving the reason to go to the cross was the love originally. This stuff all works together very, very well. But when we leave out components, it, it confuses pagans. So let's not confuse pagans. And let's not diminish the gospel. So verse 10, why should the nation say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants which has been shed. Verse 11, let the groaning of the prisoner come up before you. Who's the prisoner? Israelites, that's right. According to the greatness or the magnitude, the stoutness of your power. This word power means your arm. He's saying, God, your arm is not weak. It is strong to save, which is beautiful. Preserve, another imperative. (laughs) We are adding them up, aren't we? Preserve those who are appointed to die. So think about this for a second. So your, your nation has been snatched up out of its land. It's been taken off into captivity to Babylon. And do you think everybody that goes into captivity is going to survive? No. We, like, almost all of human history says when one nation captures another, there are grave atrocities that are committed. There are things that are declared to be crimes for which some that are captured are going to be held accountable for. That There's probably no reason for that. The word here is going to break your heart, so just get ready for your heart to be broken. The word for those who are appointed is a son. So now we just got personal, right? So read this. Preserve those sons appointed to die. I have a son. And I can tell you for sure, if my son is appointed to die, the verbs are changing in my prayers to God. This is what is driving this help us now, one who is able to save. Because nobody else could. They're in captivity. It's not like they could call up and go, hey, we need Superman to come and like save the day and there'll be a, yay, a DC uh, movie about this. No. They needed God. God was their only source of help. So they cried out to him. Preserve those who are appointed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom. Their reproach, which which they have reproached you. Another Pael. Oh, Lord. Now, I have a question on your handout, and I'm not going to go into that right now. Because I want you to wrestle with that for a couple of weeks. And in Second Peter, we're going to circle back to this question. But I want you to wrestle with this question. So we, your people, and here comes the theological whiplash of the whole thing. Because verses 1 through 12 are this, like... Help us, help us, help us, help us. And then verse 13, you're like, wait, what? We, we transitioned like hard right here. 
Um, this is that song, because they sung this, right? And they still sing this. This is that song that you listen to that the chorus goes, what? That didn't, does that have anything to do with what we were just talking about? So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks. The word literally means to hold out the hand. We will hold out our hands forever. We will show forth. This means to score with a mark or a tally. We will keep track of your praise to all generations. We will tell his story. So, application, what's the point? Well, application number one, little known does not equal little value. Don't ignore parts of the Bible. Please, we need it all. So don't forget the unpopular. Application number two, Christians can praise God in any situation, whether it be fame, captivity, wealth, poverty, health, sickness, whatever. This is one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is they show us how to do this in any situation. So personalize number two, praise Him right now. Uh, Application number three, God's ultimate deliverance is far away. Because if you look at the distance in time from the time this was written to the time Jesus showed up and actually was in the flesh, verse 9, several hundred years. So I will encourage us with number three, personalized, praise him despite the distance. We have no idea how long it's going to be before Jesus comes back and fixes all this mess. But we can praise him right now, and that will be okay. Uh, Application number four, sin requires judgment. We don't get away from it. However... However, personalization number four, know that Jesus took the judgment. And this Christian, whatever you are going through right now, is not judgment. Now, it might be discipline, but it is not judgment. Because Jesus took every last drop of that on the cross. And I don't have to worry about one drop of it landing on me, which is fantastic. He covered me with his blood. So what's the point number five? Tell God's story. Telling God's story shows his praise. So what do you think we're going to do with that? Tell God's story. That's right. It is very straightforward. Just tell what he has done in all of history, in your life, in your family. Just tell what he has done, and that will be good. So that's our Sunday School lesson today. Um, On your table, it's a piece of paper. It says... Weekly update, so we've got uh, upcoming uh, Sunday school lessons on the top left. If you've got prayer requests you would like for us to pray for for this week, there's a section for that. If you've got prayer requests that you would like to show up on the left-hand side, uh, then you can put those there. Uh, pray over those prayer requests on the, uh, on the right-hand side of the page there, and then make sure that you've got your name written at the bottom. Uh, after you have prayed as a table, you are dismissed to go into the sanctuary. Now... This morning, you're going to see a lot of people you had not seen in a while. So, here's what we don't do. Hey, good to see you. I hadn't seen you all summer. No. Let's not be jerks about it. It's great to see you. Want to sit by me? Okay. Our tone matters, guys. Our tone matters. It's taken me a long time to figure this one out. So, pray as a table, and then you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. 
You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.